Happy Daylight Savings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Excalibros. Yay. <laughs> that is not an enthusiastic yay at all. <laughs> we had Daylight Savings last week, or whatever we call it in this country. <laughs> <laughs> what we had an you... extra hour in bed. <laughs> That's all I care for. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, we're back with our... Uh, Normal broadcast here. I know it's been a little bit of time. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a, a special guest this week. It's just the two of us uh, covering what we normally cover, but we're happy to be back. Um, and so we've got uh, three issues this week. We've got Exiles number 11, we've got Excalibur number 10, and then we've got the new Exiles number 9. So, uh, Dan, any anything you want to talk about before we, we dive into it? Um... No, <laughs> not that I can think of right now, um, other than uh, there's rumours there might be a new Excalibur book next year, so that could be interesting. Oh, where'd you hear that from? Uh, the usual rumour-mongering mm. nonsense, mm. 50-50 correct. So, but what, 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 what does... What is hopefully good is that I looked at some solicitations and it does sort of sound like Exiles is carrying on. Okay, <laughs> that's good. So, I was very worried about that, to be honest. It sounds like it has another arc, at least, in it. But we'll see. Well, you know, I mean, no. yeah, they're going to finish up a second trade, so whatever that means. Yeah. The brutal hammer of cancellation at Marvel mm. at the moment. But other than that, um, I have nothing to talk about. All Aside right. from, I apologize in advance, listeners, if I keep asking Josh to repeat himself because I have an ear infection, which makes it sound like I'm inside a tumble dryer. Um, so it, it's noisy in my brain. At the we moment. should set up a Patreon account, and if people donate enough, you can actually record from inside a tumble dryer, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Could you even imagine? I'd probably just be like, ow. I bad. <laughs> well, if you want to see me die, I suppose then it'd have to be a high Patreon um, threshold, <laughs> wouldn't it? Would that set a precedent? <laughs> like, Probably Patreon? would. I mean, we'll put you on like gentle, so you won't you won't die. You'll just you know get really dizzy. Get really dizzy. That's fair. We could always do an Indiegogo, um, and just like for any reason. As I found out this week, that you could just do an Indiegogo for anything. It doesn't even matter. All right. Um, cool. So well, we'll, we'll look into that uh, Dan in the Dryer episode. But un until that day, let's uh, continue on with our regularly scheduled programming here. So uh, first yes. up, we have Exiles number 11 from May of 2002. Um, you know, Marvel Unlimited has... Two creatives mentioned, Judd Winnick as writer and penciler Jim Calafiore. I don't, I mean, I assume there's a colorer and, you know, a letterer, etc., but I don't have anything else. Um, letterer is definitely uh, Paul Turan, and the colorer, according to my ultimate collection, is still Transparency Digital for the whole, like, sort of first, the 12, 19 issues is, is Transparency Digital. Um, but it could be any inker. I've got like eight inkers, so it could be anyone. Um, well, then. So, <laughs> nice to narrow it down. Well, oh, what do we have on the cover here? We have um, 
Sunfire in a very naughty, well, it's not really naughty, by the standards of like 2001, maybe naughty, uh, nightgown or Morpheus pretending to be a mirror with a thumbs up looking at her reflection. Um, and there's like a, a, a porthole window in the background. For some yeah, reason. I don't get that at all. White. I don't understand the window or the white background. Mm. Um, frankly, to, like in context with the rest of the story, it makes perfect sense that this is the image for the for the cover. Right. But it, much like the sequence in the in in the, in the issue, it feels very like exploitative. Um, <laughs> for one of a better word. For sure. But yes, it's better than the other ones that we previously had. Yeah, I mean, it's better than that uh, World War uh, craziness that we had uh, the last couple issues. But um, yeah, I mean, it's fine, I guess. It's it's not the worst we've seen here. No. It'll, it, I assume it tickles someone's fancy at somewhere. Mm. But anyway. So after the the tragic events of um, the world at war, or whatever it was called, and we've had uh, John dead and a new team member, instead of picking up where we left off, we are sent to a, a previous time in our exiles' lives where they had a, sort of like a... Um, well, the issue is literally called Playdate, and they have kind of like a day off, and it is the day off which I think they mention in the um, sort of... An issue previously where they had a day just at the beach. Right, I think, I think it was they had like, a week off, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I think it was mentioned that they were like a nice time off, and I think this is what we're we're getting at, like that time when they had a break from it all. Right, and so so our exiles have landed on this beautiful um, sort of beach area, and immediately we get into uh, Blink telling or basically telling uh, Sunfire that it's her job to look after Morph. While they go, while the rest of the team go and have fun without him, um, essentially because they're going to go to the beach and wear not much or nothing at all, and we all know that Morph will just be what was the description like a six-year-old um, who has finished three pounds of sugar, which I can see how that could be horrific. So <laughs> I get where uh, Blink is um, coming from. Um, so yeah, we have this lengthy moment, which actually kind of is kind of fun, and it gives us, at least it gives us more of Sun, Sunfire and uh, Mariko's personality, which we literally haven't really had much at all from this point. And so she does reluctantly help the rest of the team in what I can only describe as some fun uh, sequence of panels, with like the team seemingly depressed, because Moff's like, nah, I don't want to go. Then when uh, she talks about going and trying on lingerie, and he's like, "Yay!" Everyone else is like high fiving in the background. I can't help but feel a bit sorry for him, off that no one wants to be near him. But um, it's kind of and what basically transpires is um, Morph and Sunfire have a really nice. Well, I think it's a really nice character building relationship building. They, uh, but it's framed in a really weird setting, which I don't think is particularly a great idea which is she is literally trying on fongs and such forth and uh she she tries it on until morph basically breaks breaks her essentially 
And um, he uh, he already knows that the, the reason, like, she didn't have to lie. She didn't have to bring him shopping. She could have just done something else with him. Um, he already knew that no one else wanted him there. And they have this like, sort of conversation about, you know, well, what were they doing? And we have Morph with his shape-shifting. His shape-shifting this issue is actually quite interesting to me. I think it's quite... Usually he's, he's beautifully visually interesting anyway. But I do like that it's often quite reflective of his emotional state. Yeah, yeah. In and um, one of my favorite images is the uh, no-go signs on, on when he, like, shapeshifts the, with the... Um, no exit signs or whatever they're called um, over his uh, crotch area and where his his possible breasts could right, be. Right, right. So and you know, when, as 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 Mariko's trying on all these different outfits, and we get to see her, you know, barely clad, um, in a lot of like really old, uh, like '90s sort of fashion. I want to say, I don't know. This book is early 2000s, but it, it reminds me a lot of like an Eon Fluxy kind of a. A wardrobe they, they throw her in as she's trying on uh, different clothing, uh, which was just sort of odd to, to see uh, that that was a fashion, I guess. Um, but uh, I really do sort of start to enjoy the dialogue here between the two, where he's like, "Come on, I know you're just trying to get rid of me. Uh, you think I, I can't read the room?" Um, and, and then we learn that he has a computer engineering degree, which I didn't know, so that was yeah. interesting. Uh, to learn a little bit more about him, and you know, you got you, you talked about the part where uh, he really gets into transforming his body to show his emotions, and we get like the like the Ghostbusters, like like no uh, circle with the uh, the line through it above his chest and and where his genitals would be um, if he has genitals, which will, like really showcases uh, a lot of what he's feeling and. and how he's trying to communicate with Mariko. So it's, it's a lot of like good character work here, even if it's under the pretense of like showing off Mariko's body as much as possible. Yeah. Cause even when she's walking out of the shop, she's wearing pretty much little to nothing. And I do think she's a bit, le- she's a bit too dismissive of, of his, his behavior, but um, yeah. What quickly, what quickly starts is like feeling sorry, sort of feeling sorry for him. Quickly, sort of makes into a bond with each other as they start sharing more tidbits about, like, what's happened to his family. As as they're walking through the streets with ice cream, you find out that his his mum died of cancer, of lung cancer. That's why he hates smoking so much, and that's why they actually talked. Because I thought it was a quite a weird segue to talk about like the infiltration of um, tobacco companies into foreign uh, countries i thought it was like a really weird like segue but then it they bring it around at least to make it mean something yeah um and he's talking about his family and mariko is kind of like really quite caged about her family and won't really speak about it and they're doing they do you know it's, it's just the book's doing really well with just them too agreed doing a great a great sort of character like we we learn a lot even without us saying too much about herself we learn a lot in these pages about Mariko as well and then we sort of have a little bit of a, a moment where um blink and uh nocturne are just naked on the beach with <laughs> i just love the fact that mimic's just staring out to sea naked just stood there naked staring out to sea yeah and um, they describe that um john can survive underwater and can see really well, and he really enjoys being underwater. So he's gone for a swim, quote unquote swim, 
yeah. he can't he can't float, so he's just walking on the bottom of the ocean. So as um, we're as they're talking through all this, I think it's a good time to maybe bring up uh, some of the artwork because uh, this is a different penciler than we've we've had for the majority of the book, and yeah. I think I'm I'm enjoying the majority of what he's doing here more than than the normal artist. I especially love how he characterizes morph. Uh, you know his his facial expressions, how his eyes feel really, like really sunken, um, and sort of like a, a robot-y almost look to him. Um, and I I enjoy, I, I I don't know I just I I like the rawness of his work more than uh, we were getting previously. Although I will say I don't think he understands what Asian people look like because Mariko just looks kind of rough uh <laughs> most of the time uh around the face but um what do you think of of the art so far in this issue well it's weird you say that because when um Calafiori uh, was on last time you were kind of like mm, i don't know you weren't very um when he was doing the hulk storyline yeah that did not uh, work for me at all but this feels different than that because i actually really enjoyed um the 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 work in this book i especially enjoyed like the detail the attention to details like the food mm-hmm. um and just like the sort of the sense of movement where you know breaking lobsters open and people like sniggering and just people look like they're enjoying themselves yeah and it's quite nice to see and i think he's got a real like sort of distinctly um not well it's not natural those breasts aren't natural no um he's got more of a like a naturalistic style which really works with this exactly story exactly of them just being themselves and i thought that was quite a nice sort of look to it and i think he's more more humanistic mm-hmm. opposed to the other one which lends itself really well like i quite like the old you know the other more like McCone draws Morph really well um, compared to, you know, if he's been on the, you know, the, the guy that has been on the book from day one, essentially, his Morph's always been really interesting to look at, but he's always been a little side to a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Very uh, cartoonish. Uh, whereas this one feels more humanistic, more like it could possibly be real or realistic in certain respects. Yeah, which is good for this um, story that is much more about, like, the, the humanity of, of, of Morph. Uh, where the other issues are just him being like an eight-year-old kid making fart jokes. Pretty much. And I think that um, the muted, because the color palette's very, like, muted and very just the colors you expect at the scenes that they're in. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like, distinct color work. It's not over the top. It's just there. And I feel like everything is just works on this really nice sort of, this story is about them talking and just living their lives. And everything else seems to work on that level. And right. so it's, it, this is honestly one of my favorite issues so far. It has issue. It has prob- like, I, there's not, it's not perfect. There's problems with it. I don't particularly like, like some of, I don't particularly like the sequence where America is just wearing nothing essentially. And then there's the sequence at the end. Um, we'll get to it. The, the whole like sort of, it's just a really weird way where they handled, like her coming. Because yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the main thing we need to talk about this issue. I think because yeah. basically everyone's having fun, 
and going through the motions and we're learning a lot about everyone we find out that uh, Mariko's family doesn't approve of her because of her mutation uh, she was supposed to be she's the very uh, what I consider a stereotypical characterization of an Asian person mm-hmm. where she has to get good grades and she has to be good at music for some reason and all this and I find that quite sort of pull out of a hat this is what an Asian person is hack kind of writing and um, then it gets a bit more interesting. It, it does the cliche mutant thing of mutants are the problem. And then it becomes a bit more interesting when she comes out as gay. Um, and I don't know if the successful, if we're, if, if, if when it's successful enough um, in, in the sequence, or if it, it just, it just, I don't know if it screams a bit too, it's written by a guy, you see. It's, and, by, it's definitely written by a guy who's he's meaning well. Um, yeah, he's meaning well. Um, and, I know he's like, you know, it's done from a very nice perspective. It's done from a specific perspective, but I don't think he ever gets to where he wants to get because Moth is still unbelievably sort of disappointed, I think is the word he uses. Yeah, so is, that's definitely, like, it, it starts from, a, okay, he's trying to, I get where he's going, and at the end, their relationship is in a good spot where he's, Morph no longer her like he might still have a crush on her, but he's okay with it not turning into a, like a romantic relationship. He's cool with them just being like friends, which is a good place to end. But everything in the middle is really sort of murky in, in how this all comes about. Because as you so said, really- she he, she comes out as gay, and he's like he has tr- sort of trouble like acknowledging it, not in like a mean way, but just like really, do you have to be? sort of a, a reaction and and then he does you know be, he is disappointed which i understand you could be disappointed if, if you like someone and it it doesn't you know manifest into anything but uh i don't know it, it feels it feels definitely coming from um a straight male's perspective on if you like the girl but she told you it, like how unfair that would seem to that person and doesn't really take into account Mariko's feelings. It, f- it feels like an experience Winnick has already had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, like, the end's really lovely, where he's like, even if we weren't exactly. stuck together, I'd totally hang out with you. You're you're awesome. Right. And I think that's a really, like you said, the place they end it, where they're the best friends of the group. Or, not best friends, but they're the strongest friendship um, from this sort of perspective is a really nice place to end it and the actually coming out is a great idea and it's just when he starts saying he's disappointed and i was just like oh, this just feels and mariko has the patience of a of an actual saint yeah listening to his bullshit essentially and not like ripping his head off because <laughs> it's like a sense of entitlement to exactly. The, the dialogue exactly um like i and that's kind of like that is Morph's character. There are women to oogle out because I'm entitled to oogle at sexy women. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I know he's always been played and he even calls himself politically incorrect here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's always been played with that um, tune in mind, but it just felt a bit sort of like, I don't know, With the, reading it now, at this, t- this day and age where people are like, really aggressive about certain things and 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 you know i mean it just feels like that that 
it's not that type of entitlement, but it comes across as that kind of entitlement of, oh, as if you're, you know, you were supposed to be mine. No, it does that way, and it's it's all she's catering towards towards his feelings. She's like, oh, this must have been awkward for you, and, and at <laughs> the end, she she apologizes to him, like, I'm sorry that I'm not straight, morph, and yeah. it's, that that's it's that, a, those are the parts that rub me the wrong way. Yeah, it pisses me off when I hear uh, a fellow gay person having to apologize to a straight person, but the straight person not having the compassion or the understanding to, you know, be a decent human being. To the, to the gay person, <laughs> it just it annoys me slightly. Hmm. But anyway, it doesn't destroy the book. I actually think it's one of my favorites completely so far. Oh yeah, the issues. It's it's such a really like Winnick has a really good grasp of both Morpha and Marika before the coming out sequence, where it's a bit weird. Um, and to be honest, not hearing anything from the other characters was kind of refreshing. Sure, sure. And um, after the sort of mess slash tragedy slash forced angst of the last um, f- three issues, yeah, it was nice to have like a total break and sort of step back and be like, this is well, what have a character driven issue as opposed to um, plot driven for once. Definitely, and you know, as we we mentioned, even though it's kind of not done in the best way uh, where the, where they end up is is in a really nice spot so um you know yeah. i think part of it is they're doing the best they could at the time period and reading it you know 18 years later you're like ah, i'm not quite sure if this works but at least at least you understand the sentiment of what they were trying to do and you can appreciate it that way yeah and at the time i think it would have been a really nice yeah. moment for a lot of people to, to see someone you know come out and be like Ooh, yeah, we're friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Rather, uh, rather than it turn into like some disturbing crap like Ultimate X Men, um, for example, when Colossus came out to Nightcrawler and that was just a, a horrible Mark Miller, if I think it was, inspired idea. Of course. Um, but anyway, I, I, I'd actually, uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards that being my favorite issue so far that I've read. So. Yeah. So artistically, artistically, it works pretty well as well. So. No, no, I think it really does. And, uh, you know, the little sort of bow at the end of this is uh, Mariko and Morph really do sort of form a nice friendship. And they decide that they're going to get back at the rest of the team for shuffling them off and not allowing them to, to enjoy the fun on the beach. And uh, Morph fills up a, a, like a basket full of, of water balloons and he, he transforms into like a, a catapult here and is ready to shoot all these balloons at, at the rest of the team. And we find out that the balloons aren't filled with water, but he filled them all with beer. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and the issue ends with a nice like splat of all the balloons. Um, and you don't see him hitting everyone. You just see like the, the beer burst. But it's a nice, like fun, fun little tie-up of the issue. And I, as you mentioned, I really... This might be one of my favorite issues of this series as well. And it's it's nice because it's a it's a nice issue going forward because we're about to hit some. I wouldn't say heavy, but like sort of dramatic um, moments going forward, which kind of changed the mythology, the, the sort of mythology or the rules we've already learned about, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm looking forward to revisiting. To be honest. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, you know, preview for the next issue, but it looks like we're going to see uh, another quote-unquote Exiles team show up uh, with some alternate universe characters. So that, that could be fun. Yes. I actually quite liked the concept when I was how old I was in 2001. <laughs> so it would be nice to revisit it when I'm jaded and older. Right. Uh, <laughs> jaded oh, man. God. Yeah. Jaded man. The only way forward. <laughs> but yes. All right. Well, that was Exiles number 11. Uh, uh, quite a nice issue. Yes, I'd agree. All right. So moving on to Excalibur number 10. Uh, this was published in July of 1989. And get this. The only creative mentioned in Marvel uh, Unlimited is the writer, Chris Claremont. <laughs> That's How it. dare they? <laughs> no. Um, so I've got, right. So obviously written by Chris Claremont. Uh, it's Guest Pencils by Marshall Rogers. Guest Inca by Terry Austin. Letterer is Mass and Heisler. And colorist is uh, Glennis is back. Glennis Oliver is back. Yay! As a colorist. Um, and that's all I've got. All right. I do want to make one, one little um, thing. And I don't know if it's me just being weird. But I generally think... No, I'm just being weird. It's because the, the color on the of um, Hotman England... Um, his colour was like a purpley red, not like Captain Britain red. And on the front cover of this issue, it's kind of like a maroon. I don't know. I have colouring issues. <laughs> All right. We can get into that. <laughs> so we left off last issue with the Nazi Excalibur team. Uh, had come through this portal and was, was sort of trying to take over. And... Uh, our Captain Britain had stepped into his old uniform and was going to try and take on the Nazi Captain Britain. So uh, on the cover of this issue, we've got Mr. Nazi Britain uh, really socking it to our cap and says, tag, you're it. Um, and I, I kind of like this cover. I, I think I have two issues. One at the bottom, it says Captain Britain versus, and I can't read it because the coloring of the words in green against the like orange background just, with, with also these like lines going through it makes it really difficult to read. I don't know yeah. if you have the same issue, but I I know it's supposed to be the the Nazi yeah, Captain yeah. England, but it's like I can't read it's it. It's not too bad. It's not too bad in paper, like original paper stock. It looks all right, but from a like, but you have to get a bit closer to it to um to properly distinguish what the hell the words are. To be right. honest, and the other thing is. Captain Britain's being punched one way, and his head should definitely not be turning the way that it's turning. See, my issue with this um, comic, this comic, uh, this funk of a hand to this comic, is that not only is right, so it's not a bad, there's nothing wrong with the comic cover. I, I get that you'd like it, or anyone would like it. And I like the fact that maybe it, it feels like an eyeball behind them. Right. But um, it just feels very. Normal superheroes. Yep. Yep. And the issue is very uh, visually normal superheroes. Yep. And much like when Alan Davis left, left the last time, my biggest drawback from the issue, this is a spoiler of my thoughts going ahead, is the art. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's bad. 
but I think we've been spoiled. Yeah, so. yeah. We're going back to more standard fare here. So anyway, take it away. Right. Uh, so we've got the two captains. Captains Britain, I think is the correct way to pr- pluralize that. Uh, <laughs> duking it out. And uh, our Captain Britain keeps lamenting that he's not at his full strength because uh, of everything that happened in New York. And we're, I don't know if we we're supposed to realize at this point that all his powers sort of manifest because he's in England. And when he's out, he, he loses all his powers. Um, that's the way I took it, at least. So it sounds like he really just hasn't recharged. And and he gets sort of pummeled for a number of pages while uh, the Nazi Excaliburs uh, look on and sort of enjoy enjoy this pummeling because he keeps getting beat up like crazy. Uh, like he can't even land one blow. And uh, the Nazi Captain Britain keeps telling him, you know, it's over. You know, time to give up. You've, you, you know, you're finished. Um, and And... You know, it just feels very... It's almost like too much of it. Like, I understand he's supposed to feel overwhelmed, but it's like the same thing over and over again here for the first five pages. And and can I just highlight that I despise his eye, uh, Cap, our Captain Britain's eyes and the way they're drawn mm-hmm. on the map. It just doesn't... It feels weird and cartoonish, especially with the eyebrows. Like, why does he have <laughs> eyebrows? <laughs> and the eyebrows really freak me out a little bit. Um... With his ice cream hair, his hair does look like it's just made out of like some sort of cream or jello substance. Mm. It's just... um, whereas I really like how um, Nazi Cap looks in this, and like how intimidating he is. Oh sure. And but for some reason, I just I can't I don't get his costume. <laughs> like I know it's his old classic one, but I don't get why he has eyebrows <laughs> when it's a domino mask. Yeah, and he's got a little bit of like midriff as well in the costume, which I don't quite understand. It's because it didn't fit him. That's oh right, he... right, right, right. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> he had gotten bigger. <laughs> I understand, but eyebrows I do not understand. It's really doing my. It just it's just kind of gets me a little bit. Like it makes no visual sense. Right. Uh, then we cut to uh, the evil Moira McTaggart. And uh, and henchmen as they're trying to escape with uh, a member of is this the military or the police? Uh, I, I I believe it's the military. Uh, they're, they're trying to escape, um, and they they hold this military woman hostage and they're like, "Leave us alone and let us escape, otherwise this woman's going to get it." And it's a lot of just very standard a fair here of artwork. And I would actually say these panels are some of the worst because Callisto yeah. really looks quite terrible in a lot of these panels. Yeah. Visual, she's just, um, again, it's like a things that make sense visually. Like do, is she wearing baggy trousers or is it just her legs constantly change shape mm. and like how she would tackle someone. Yeah. Her, doesn't quite make sense no. how their bodies are moving. Exactly. Um, kind of like what you said about the front cover, where the punch is coming from one direc- direction, but his head's going the other. Yeah, it's kind of that kind of thing going on. It's it's someone who's like this will look great, like in their head, and but is not sort of visualizing it uh, realistically how a human body moves. So in in the artist's mind, I'm sure he thought this will look really dynamic, which it can, but it also looks quite odd if you pay attention to it for for too long. Um, 
So then we cut to the, the lizard slash dinosaur family who is visiting, um, and they're sort of bickering, and the little boy uh, sort of gets in the way of the two Captains Britain fighting, and our Captain Britain has to save him. Um, and there's a, there's a moment here where Captain Britain is talking about he's fighting with in, in his Starkers, which obviously is Stark naked. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice through line of just nudity in the first two books we're reading here. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe what luck uh, that, that, that would line up. But, um, so Captain Britain is able to save this little boy, and the boy's like, oh, thank you. Um, and then Evil Kitty comes through, and she's a ghost, <laughs> so when she faces through him, she disrupts his electricity of life. Uh, it's how they phrase it. That's not my phrasing. Don't, don't come at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he falls into the water, or is about to, until Evil Nightcrawler catches him, bounce for a number of times, uh, which which wears out Captain Britain. And then Evil Nazi, I mean, I guess that's uh, redundancy, but Nazi Captain Britain comes in to give him the coup de grace. Um, but we find out that our Cap has been holding in his power and gives a nice little uppercut here with a pow that sends him flying with evil nightcrawler looking shocked um and at this time we find out that uh the evil megan was really our megan in disguise waiting you know biding her time to to start slamming people and you know the evil excalibur is taken out quite quickly uh from this point on it's you know if i have issues with a lot of the fights in the excalibur it's that they get overwhelmed quite easily and then on their second go round, they they tend to overwhelm their uh, opponents quite easily. Uh, there's there's not a lot of you know continuity between the fights in in, in that sense. Yeah, I suppose I'd agree. I think it's just because um, the excuse of them always getting overwhelmed is because they don't work together, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden they sort of work together. Yeah, but exactly. it was nice to. It was nice for me to see that Megan basically does it herself, the whole thing, apart from uh, Kitty. She just basically ends the rest of them. And she just slaps one of them. Oh, yeah. Back we, I love it. Yeah, she hits Callisto. It's it's weird. It's almost like she's ice skating and just slaps her as she's skating. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is true. This is true. So yeah, so... Rachel shows up. Uh, she helps to detain Evil Kitty. Uh, and then we cut to our kitty with, um, and I always forget his name, but the the, the police officer who's in the, like the X Files division. Yeah, I forget his Alistair... name. Alistair. Alistair. I want to say Smythe, but it's not Smythe because that's. that's <laughs> anyway, they're in some weird darkness, um, and then uh, the weird frog robot shows up, opens up a portal um, to a land full of Amazons, and our. Our, our dude who's who's been really girl crazy every issue he's been in is like, hey, look at this Amazon. I could I could have some of that. And uh, Kitty's like, no, I saw him first. Get away. Um, and she uh, sorts out uh, sort short circuits. Uh, our robot friend, who they then go on to name Widget, and uh, yes. uh, that's the end of that. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. We cut back to some random building where uh, Rachel's watching over the Nazis and, like, the government. The British government is talking to Moira McTaggart to try and, like, I don't know, have a peace settlement? I'm not really sure why they're just, like, sitting there chatting. Um, Kitty 
meets her counterpart and realizes what terrible things they did to her. She's about to freak out, and Rachel flies her away. Um, they have a little bit of discussion on a castle wall, and uh, they decide that they're going to go back. Um, and as they're flying back to uh, their headquarters, they fly right by Fraser's Bank uh, in Tameside. Or is that London? Just, yeah, is that, that's just saying the tame side of the river in London, where I'm Courtney sorry, Ross yeah. is is watching, and she's like, "Finally, they will be mine." Um, and it's it's end of the issue. So it was. I mean, it just felt like this is fine. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing really amazing to look visually. The storytelling is really like paint by numbers. You knew this. Of course, our heroes are gonna defeat the the evildoers and. And that's where we end. It just felt it didn't feel like standard Excalibur. It felt like, you know, sort of boring regular old superhero stuff. Yeah, it just it felt bland. And when the weird stuff happened with Widget, because it isn't drawn in a unique or interesting way, it just feels really out of place mm-hmm. with the rest of the the story. And it just, I don't know. It just feels like. All I kept thinking was, is there like a crossover happening in the other Xbox at the moment or something? Or is like Claremont writing like a really big story uh, with somewhere somewhere else? It feels very much like a, a sort of afterthought. Yeah. Oh, I gotta tie this up because I got other things happening. Yeah. Because there is like foreshadowing for other events and this and that, but. I don't, I, just, I don't know, the character seems that, like, Kitty's freak out is fine to a point that seems to take up, like, the last chunk of the book is her just being like, oh dear god, look what they've done to me. Um, let's go sit on a wall and discuss hmm. something. It's felt a bit sort of out of place. Or just a bit average. That sounds really bad. Average is not bad, but for Excalibur, we have a bit more higher standards, I think. So, so I have a question because I'm not really sure what happened. But they, Kitty and, and Rachel decide they're going to fly back, and as they're flying, Kitty's like holding something in her her arms. Uh, it's almost like wrapped in like tatters of her costume. Yeah. Do you know? Did she grab something? Is this? Is this? Am I missing something? I feel like she's because uh, her costume's like been ripped and stuff. So maybe it's just her sleeve. Okay. Or something because it doesn't. I've not. She hasn't really done anything, has she? Like she didn't lose her sleeve. I don't know where she lost. Well, it's it's weird because the the panel before she's like, yeah, let's go, but I'll I'll be back in a second. I need to pick something up, and then it it feels like she's got something in her arms, but they don't really explain what she's picked up. They must be widget, actually. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It'll be widget, won't it? Yeah. Just, yeah. It was not clear to me at all. No. No, it's not. No. <laughs> all right. Well, going... that was that was an issue, I guess. <laughs> it's a it's a shame. It's a shame, but it's not like the end of the world. Like it hasn't no. You know, it just feels like you could feel the love with the other issues. I don't feel the love coming out of this issue. It just feels like we this was work for hire that was done and now we're done with the issue. Yeah. Pretty much. Yep. Uh, but uh, next issue, we've looks like, uh, I don't know, the, the cover says, 
blame it on Phoenix, and there's a Phoenix thing happening, and it's really nondescript on what what's happening exactly. So we've got some something Phoenixy happening next issue. Yeah, it's always Rachel's fault. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yep, yep. Blame Rachel. All right, so that was that was Excalibur number ten. It was fine. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I feel really bad just being like dismissive of it, but that's the thing; it feels very dismissive of itself. Exactly. So, and it's not a terrible issue. Like it's very middle of the road, fine comic book stuff. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. Well, then. moving on. Got Moving Exiles number nine uh, that came out, boy, I want to say two or three weeks ago now. Uh, so yes. we've been kind of uh, late late to the party, but we're finally here. So uh, what do we have on the cover here, Dan? Right. So we have a magical carpet ride. Um, we have Blink in really interesting sort of Arabian Nights style clothing, riding a magic carpet with a little Wolvie holding onto the back of it. And 1001 Marvel Knights is the it's a little tag, and it's even sort of bordered as well with sort of the stereotypical faux Arab, Arabic, Arab, Arabian sort of stylings, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. I quite like I this cover. Can, yeah, I think it's quite a nice little... Um, it's by uh, David um, Nakayama. Yep. Um, and I think that I really like the color work, to be absolutely honest. For sure. And I really like her like dress with the see-through elements. I like her sleeves and her veil. And little Wolvie just looks perfectly out of place, as usual. Yeah, he looks almost like a, like a Mega Man kind of character. Like I could really see Wolvie drawn that way in an issue, and I would, I would totally be for it. Of course you would. <laughs> no, he looks pretty good. To be honest, I really like the fact that the carpet has X's on it. Oh yeah, um, and like I do really like the, the whole idea, and it feels kind of like herself, blink herself, being all happy and smiling. But it feels like a a, a step in a different direction to what we've had previously. Uh-huh. And so we and so we basically have the return of um, Javier Rodriguez on art and. He's double credited with uh, Saladin Ahmed um, as the storytellers with Alvaro Lopez on, on inking and Munster Vicente as a colorist and uh, VC's Joe Carmagna as the letterer for the issue. Yep. And we start with... Um, I gotta say, I'm happy that this art team is back on the book. So is, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not even going to deny that. So we start with Blink, our hero Blink, or Aladdin. Um, waking up in a sort of smoky haze and she totally doesn't know what's going on but there's this woman that just shoves her out the door um, to seek fortune as Aladdin um, sure. she's, she's in medieval Baghdad sort of, which I thought was a nice touch the um, sort of <laughs> and we have this wonderful uh, splash page of this sort of marketplace with all these fantastically uh, charismatic. I love the snake charming dude who's like shouting or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. He's, fantastic. He's just fantastic. The colors work really well. 
Um, even like there's an attention to detail to the to, to the sort of like the rickety ceiling where it's been planked off in places and rest is bare. And it just has this like interesting feel to it. Um, with good old Blink, like a Where's Wally in the middle of the whole um, picture. Being like, or Where's okay. Waldo for the American listeners? Oh, yes, Where's Waldo? Of course. Um, <laughs> yes, sorry. And um, so we have a series of events where Blink's just wandered around medieval Baghdad and we find a guy with a fantastic beard and an even better hat. Um, so I'll try and kill her with some Saracen swords as she blinks away and she defeats them only to be found by uh, the Medi- this this Arabian Nights looking Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and we sort of follow the story of Aladdin that's what's happening right now right and I gotta and- say I love that we've got these these non-panel page layouts back because I, I love how how this art team is able to to make that work visually. So one of my favorite ideas is when this Doctor Strange comes, he's got his cape up of his just below his eyes, mm-hmm. and so um, in how they describe how it's shown almost visually in the book is that his eyes and the cape framed the other three panels, which are all framed like windows. Right. And then his head obviously is also a peak. And um, I thought that was a really nice way forward. And as they're traveling through the sand, there's this like wavy, almost, and like wavy sense to the, the the dunes. And then when they're into the tent, the tent is a frame for the panel. Um, again, we're back to being exiles, the master class of story, visual storytelling. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That it often is. And um, so she's reliving um, Aladdin. Uh, with Doctor Strange, and she finds the lamp, and who, whoever rubs the lamp gets an Iron Lad, apparently, these days. Um, <laughs> and so Iron Lad's the genie, and obviously Blink's not too familiar with the whole Aladdin thing. And um, so Iron Lad kind of fills her in, and they're just like, well, we're in a story. And um, Doctor Strange ain't too happy that they're not going to help him, so he, he seals them inside, with some sort of rhino-esque character, mm-hmm. many arms, and then <clears throat> from there though we quickly uh, tra- like tra- traverse the Arabian Nights to another um, story with Valkyrie and um, Becky, and I desperately love their relationship. I know, right? <laughs> They're so sweet together, and I really love all of the panels with them together, and. Again, I have missed how physical Valkyrie looked because we didn't really get that in the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we moved to uh, our Captain America fighting um, Black Cat um, in what is Alibaba and the 40 Thieves mm-hmm. storyline, essentially. And the Black Cat sort of escapes with all of her thieves and they go after, after her because they've taken uh, Becky as well. And then we I quickly need to shut out this this one panel that's just all black in the background and all silhouetted in sort of like a turquoise, uh, greeny color uh, fight scene, which could be like really bland and, and boring, but somehow this art team makes this, this stick out in a way that's super engaging. I don't 
I don't know why this one panel stuck out to me, but I just love this. I don't worry about it. Um, this entire book is is astonishing um, in many ways. Mm. It's just I don't know. It just everything feels like it's serving to tell the story, as opposed to being like uh, what Excalibur was kind of like perfunctory. You know, it was kind of like just just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this picture has to be there because the because the writer has said this panel is like this, where this feels like a, a collaboration, more of a collaboration. Yeah. Of like, well, he said it needs to be like this, but I'm going to draw it this way. Um, so if it, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to draw it to make it look like it can be followed. Like in this sequence where we have um, T'Challa of of the Wild West, and I don't know what they call him in this. Um, just yeah. T'Challa, I think. King, yes, it is just King. And uh, little Wolvie, who is just adorable. Um, we, we start with uh, T'Challa's face, then him waking up, and then moving round. And because the, the, the doors are this weird sort of circular frames, it's framing one of the panels. And instantly, um, sort of, they, like, <laughs> he knows he's in Arabian Nights, essentially. Um, because he's a uh, Sinbad. Right, right, with... right. They've gone to an island with loads of giant monster cyclopses, um, on it, and the ocean. It's this panel is my favorite, hands down. So, um, we have Little Wolvie and T'Challa, and they're basically on a sea beast, mm-hmm. and it's just kind of what they did with like the Juggernaut, right? Or they're just telling the story in just one panel as the panel as you just follow the characters around. It reminds me a lot of like Tintin. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I could see that. And and um because of the way they and a lot of different like sort of that time period sort of European comic books, um, and how they would tell their stories. And it just for me it's just working wonders. Like it just going through the it's going through the motions, but in a such a beautiful way, like from the beast of the deep we go straight back to blink and iron lad and then there's that moment where the rhino beast crunches crunch that's a word uh the wall but i just love the fact that the lettering is the wall that is just shattered to pieces yeah and then they find a magic carpet and then (laughs) it's just basically they find a magic carpet and, and flee and then we've got cap and valkyrie who has this wonderful series of panels down in a cavern find a boat and go and manage to escape and then little Wolvie and T'Challa wake up on a, on a beach because little Wolvie has basically saved his life on a plank and just swam really fast mm-hmm. which I thought was adorable and they, I love how he's out. like King's like I owe you my life and, and Wolvie says how can you owe someone a life that's silly but you can owe me an ice cream if you want <laughs> Yeah, and he's wearing his hat, which is my favorite thing. I love it. He's wearing his hat, um, and I love how they're best friends now. Yeah, um, and like I love these panels. Them to like using the um, horizontal sort of the pan the the panel that T'Challa's wearing, then the waterline to break the panels down. It's such a great idea, but to keep the 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 coloring of the the sand. The sand morphs into the sky, which is broken by the water, which goes back into the sand. I thought it was a really nice 
beautiful sort of oh, yeah. every page, every single page. There's also a, a letter in a bottle, which I thought was a nice touch on the stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so our heroes come together, and even uh, Becky seems to just have appeared <laughs> out, of, out of nowhere. And they teleport into a place which has... Uh, it took me a couple of seconds to really get used to this bit version of um, TJ, uh-huh. uh, not 10. Because um, she kind of reminds me a little bit of much. Her hair reminds me a little bit of Medusa. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we find out that uh, not 10 has been sort of forced to dance and do stuff <laughs> for uh, Doctor Doom. Um Caliph Doom, I mm-hmm. think his Caliph. I assume Caliph is Doctor, and he's in like this uh, astonishing um, Arabian Nights like dress thing, which is just I I, I love the turban with the mask. I just love it. I, I genuinely loved it. When it was Doctor Doom, I kind of just I was drinking at the time and practically just nearly choked. <laughs> I think but it was Doctor Doom because there's such a joy to be had here. Um. And I love the. We'll talk about it next week, but I absolutely adore the cover for the next issue. But I'm just going to say that because I just do. Um, oh yeah, but, yeah. For all intents and purposes, um, what we got last time with Exiles was a really sort of recap, not really going anywhere, visually. Still, yeah, and and now we're back to this sort of cacophony of color and just ingenuity on every page. Yeah, Uh, the writing is spot on. Every character sounds unique and different, which is which is hard to come by in X books these days. And um, it's really nice to see sort of relationships building immediately, and they seem real and everyone's sort of just going along with the flow and enjoying the characters are enjoying sort of the adventure of being in this ridiculous sort of Arabian nights right. place. And it kind of makes you enjoy it as well. And it just, it, it's wondrous. Like the color work is just beyond beautiful in places. Uh, and obviously the pencils are insanely good. Oh yeah. I mean, this feels, you know, you mentioned last issue is sort of like a standstill, which for a lot of, you know, in, in a lot of ways, this issue as well is very sort of nothing really happens. Uh, oh, the band just kind not. of gets back together, but it doesn't matter so much because the way that that's told is engaging. Where previously they just stood around and they went over their backstory that we already knew. This is, you know, there's not a whole lot happening. Nothing earth shattering happens. Nothing is super like revealed. It's just an enjoyable time with these characters in this visual wonderland. Um, and so it's 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 amazing how you could have in, in two separate issues literally nothing happening, but everything happening in this issue, regardless. And it's just like the idea, the sort of the choices. Like when Becky was caught, I was like, "All right, they're going to go save Becky." But Becky's a capable woman, right, in her own right, so she just totally saved herself. Um, and I thought that was a nice touch. It was just like, "Oh, we're just all coming together, and now we're going to fight." Um, Doctor Doom <laughs> in, in in like an Arabian night setting for no reason other than it's just kind of fun. No, exactly. It's it's a joy to have this team back together. Um, just a wonderful book. How, how do you want to rate this? 
Um, I really enjoyed it. It made me smile the whole way right, all the way through. Um, I really liked. The, I really liked the story, even because it was more of a character. Yeah, exactly. Um, than plot and the art was astonishing, and it was so nice to have them all back. It may just be just the joy of it all, but I'm gonna give it full marks. Five out of five. So, yeah, yeah. Because um, it might, my mind might be coloured by the fact that I was just happy to have it all back, and it just seemed sure. really happy and fun. But nothing, nothing stood out as bad or anything to to me, sir. No, like I, 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 I want to give this like four and a half out of five. In that, I do love everything that's happening, but it does feel a lot like nothing's happening. Like I still have this lingering, like, well, we're just sort of treading water here still which is and and as much as this this is very similar to the other exiles issue we read where nothing really happens but it's just the characters um yeah which which is what we're really getting a lot here as well but i feel like we had the previous issues where they were just sort of standing around and, and i feel like a lot of that is, is is remaining almost like he's still setting up the ch- chessboard for this fight with 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 Doctor Doom, so it, it loses a little bit, but I mean, visually, this thing is just amazing. Uh, once you know, we say this every every episode, but please read through this this issue a number of times because you're going to pick out little pieces uh, with with each read through. And I also want to get your opinion on on King here because this is the first time this creative team is is tackling King uh, visually, uh, where before I don't remember who the artist was, but um, was much more of a, like a Sinkevich sort of painterly sort of style, um, which we we yeah. we loved. But well, this right. is the first time we're seeing a more cartoony sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, traditional uh, to this Exiles book art art team on here. So, what did you think of of this this, this stylings of the King? Um, I think Rod Reyes's art and his introduction of the King kind of still for me. Is the def- is the definitive version, but I really like this version as well, which just feels mm. just in like the same um, um, sort of the same class. It doesn't feel too off, and it feels like it he fits perfectly in visually with the rest of the team. Sure. So I'm happy with it. To be fair. Oh yeah, I'm happy with it too. I, I do think the the Reyes artwork just overshadows what yes. we have here, unfortunately, just because of man that those those were gorgeous issues. But um, yeah, I'm glad that King's King stuck around, and, and TJ's here. I wonder if she's gonna stick around for a while, or if we're just gonna have her for a couple of issues and she's she's done with the book. But if she does stick around, I hope they really integrate her more into the story because she's really been very peripheral for the last couple of issues here very much so um yeah so like great great issue um yeah this 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 cover for the next issue looks just as amazing as as the cover for this issue um so i'm 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 looking forward to what we have coming up um but i you know there's one other thing i wanted to touch on and it's not really exiles related at all but recently, we've had a number of creators uh, from Marvel uh, pass on. And so in when this book came out, um, the week that this book came out, they had a little in memoriam for Gary Frederick, 
who it looks like created uh, or co-created Ghost Rider. And mm-hmm. um, I was just wondering if you had any any thoughts on Ghost Rider uh, or or uh, Mr. Frederick. Um, to be honest, I never really read much of his work, but I probably did when you know around as mm-hmm. you do. I, I he never never really stuck, but Ghost Rider himself, I've never really um, clicked. I liked the visual. Mm-hmm. idea of him but I never really clicked with it uh, I think he works better as just a thing that appears and disappears I never really understood his solo stuff if you know what I mean like I never really got couldn't really get into it because I felt like it was just sort of the same I suppose you could say that about any of Marvel's characters which felt very sort of similar all the time and then it was very 90s at one point and there's lots of chains yeah i didn't really get it <laughs> okay yeah i, I was never really a, a ghost rider uh fan myself you know it's, it's a really interesting idea and i did enjoy the series a couple years ago where it was um we had the new ghost rider uh the latino character who he had a little brother oh. he was protecting, and he Robbie, drove a car. Robbie's Ghost Rider. Robbie's Ghost Rider is, that's the only Ghost Rider I, I like. Right, is Robbie. And that's also Robbie. really visually like amazing to look at. And I feel like if I were to go back and look at old Ghost Rider issues, I'd probably be surprised at some of like the the ideas visually that were happening. Um, mm, so you know, it's it's always sad when when a creator passes on. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe trying to, to look into Ghost Rider for a minute and see if there's anything anything that might click with me now that I'm uh, a little bit older. But um, yeah, that's really all I had planned for this issue. Is there anything else we need to, rather this episode, is there anything else you want to bring up, Dan? I'm not looking to All right. Well, um, we're going to be on the Snickcast in a short period of time here, so look out for us there. Um, also... I'll, I'll recommend it there as well, but you really do need to pick up the next collected issue, uh, collected uh, treasury edition of X-Men Grand Design because it's just as amazing as the first. Uh, it's, it's, it's so good. So please pick that up if you're at all inclined. And um, I think that's it for us. So uh, any, any final words, Dan? Um, you should all go and buy the first trade of... Exiles um, yes. that came out came out recently enough, and um, if you aren't already reading it, you need to read X Men Red because it is ridiculously good. So that that's yeah, those are two great points. Red is amazing, and also if you want Exiles to continue, buying the trade is one way to guarantee that Marvel will greenlight another arc because they do look at those trade sales. So. Uh, if you're like me and you prefer trades, I would definitely pick that up as well. It will look amazing. Of course. Um, Alrighty. Well, that was all for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can they find us, Dan? You can find us on Twitter at Excalibros. Uh, Excalibros1, um, where we will answer questions or if you have any comments about any of the issues, um, 
fire them away as as uh, you can get us on on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Podbean. Uh, it's podbean.com forward slash Excaliburs. And I think we're everywhere else. Yep. Uh, we're on it all. I think we can even upload ourselves to Spotify now. So, through Podbean. Um, so, there you go. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. See you later.